All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Avershawn Podcast. And uh, Chris, while I was recording that opening, I believe the Colorado Avalanche just scored again. How are you oh. doing today? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I'm doing well. You know, work work is uh, getting a little mundane. I think that, that's, a, that's the right way of saying it. So I'm, I'm happy to be here talking some sports. We're in the thick of conference finals and, and finals and playoffs and all that good <laughs> stuff. So... I'm happy to be back. We we have both survived the vid. Yes. Well, let's just go ahead and and hit what is probably the most fun topic right off the top. Um, Dan Snyder and the NFL. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Colorado and Edmonton. What a shit show! What a like fire fest! It was everything and it was nothing <laughs> all at the same time. It was just like paper thin defense, electric offense. It was a great day for Canada and therefore the world because 10 Canadians scored in that game. So I mean, I unfortunately did, didn't really get a chance to watch much of the game. I was in class. Uh, boohoo for me. I know everybody's crying. Studious Sean. Yes. I, I know everybody's <laughs> crying mega tears for me at this point, uh, but you were watching it and you, hey, were, you were listening. So what what was you know your takeaway both for the game and for the series? Well, the game. I mean, uh, a mess. I don't. I don't really know what else you can use to describe it. I think <laughs> bigger picture here. I, I, I'm I'm perplexed as someone who you know follows hockey. I'd like to say the word use the word religiously here. Um, I, I'm I'm a little confused the Oilers like to play a wide open game. Defense is not their forte. Goaltending is not really their forte either. If that hasn't been obvious this entire playoffs. (laughs) Is it even in their vocabulary? Um, um, uh, you know, every once in a while, Mike Smith will show up and, you know, throw in a random shutout, but yeah. Um, but so, you know, you hear the, the almost mundane, um, I've used that word twice now. That's that's not good. God, you're getting redundant but there, you, Chris. You... <laughs> Shake it up, man. If, if Edmonton um, doesn't have an expansive vocabulary, you got to step it up and do it for them. <laughs> well, so you, you know, you hear the 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 stale phrase that you know defense matters in playoffs, and I think across the board in just about every league, maybe besides the NBA, it actually matters. Um, and the Oilers have made it this far literally playing the most wide open basically just balls to the wall score as many goals as humanly possible now i'm not saying that you know the rangers tampa series starts tonight each team is trying to score as many goals as possible obviously but defensive system wise the oilers man you, you look at that flame series which we didn't really get to touch on you know we had the interview with Kark, um and then you know took a week or two off and we were both sick and yada yada the Flames were one of the best defensive teams in the entire league throughout the entire season. Pretty sure they won the Jennings Award, which is the lowest goals allowed by a goalie duo. So both goalies win it technically. Um, Brent um, Brent Sutter. Um, Daryl. I'm blanking on his name. Daryl, sorry, that's his brother. One of the many Sutters. Um, <laughs> Daryl Sutter, defensive juggernaut of a coach, old school style, you know. And – the the first game in that series was nine to six. Yeah, <laughs> like, 
Um, and last night was eight to six for game one. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, it's interesting because we're seeing this new wave of hockey player. And if you watch the league now compared to 30 years ago and even 15 years ago, the players, it's a, it's a less physical game. It's a faster game. There's more skill. I think that's kind of across the board in every sport, just about. Yeah. But what makes the Oilers so crazy is that they're getting these teams that have played this very structured defense to just, they're, they're forcing them to play wide open, which is crazy. And it's not getting talked about. The Avalanche have the speed to go head to head with the Oilers. Clearly, last night they won. Goaltending wise, I, I haven't seen any reports on Kemper. You know, he's apparently still dealing with an eye injury that didn't bother him at all during the St. Louis series, but he got pulled last night. I don't I mean, trust I, their back. I don't know goalie. If either goalie's eyes were working to start that game. Well, I mean, but I of the two goalies, though, I trust Kemper more than than Smith. I, I well, I say that, but Kemper Kemper has a long injury history. We were talking right before we started recording about anti Ranta. Kemper and Ranta were in Arizona together. Ranta got hurt, and then um, there was a third third. Um, Arizona Coyote, uh, former Coyotes goalie that got hurt. Oh, Mike Smith. I (laughs) yes. Hold on. I I love it when you get on a roll with this though, because I like crack a joke about both guys having their eyes wide shut, and you're just like, wait, no, like I'm being serious. I'm being serious, and I'm like, Chris, they they both sucked yesterday. We we can boil it down to just that. They they were pretty awful, and so was the defense in front of them. They were pretty awful. Uh, yeah, been... but it, but what's interesting is that the Avalanche play a very structured game, kind of like the Flames did all season. And, I mean, look at the St. Louis series. The Avalanche, the, the Avalanche did not score eight goals. Well, may, maybe they scored seven in one of the games, but it, it was a, a low-scoring affair. Um, St. Louis also, granted, puts a little bit more effort into their defense than the Oilers do. That – Totally, much, but when it, it's it's a gimme. Like I think even speaking of the Coyotes, I think they probably try more on defense than the Oilers do. I mean, you have to. <laughs> it's it, but what's it, what I think is fascinating? It's the new age hockey where the defense isn't setting the tone; it's the offense setting the tone, and we've never really seen that, and we've never seen it for this prolonged stretch. You know, you, you, I think you've used the old adage at some point where it's like, oh, I hope they didn't dry out, you know, use up all their goals in one night. Um, the Oilers seem like they can put up six, seven, eight goals every night. Problem is, are they going to give up more than they are able to net themselves? So it's it's fascinating to me. Overall, Avalanche have a better roster. If Kemper is hurt and misses a game or two, this could get real ugly real fast that we could be seeing eight, nine goals a game. If the Oilers keep this up, like I'm not, I'm not even kidding. So what you're saying is bet the over, bet the over. (laughs) And it's interesting is, and and you would think that, okay, so Colorado's thinking to themselves, okay, well we have the defense to possibly shut them down. But knowing that the Oilers are going to give so many odd man rushes the opposite way, the Avs are like, we're going to give up odd man rushes, but we know that we're going to get more than what we give up. And so they're taking that 
risk. It's it's an interesting, it's a new age hockey thing. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of people might be like, oh, well, you know, you just got the old school mindset. Um, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, at the second intermission last night, started the intermission off by saying, in order to win a championship, you need to play defense. And right now, the Edmonton Oilers are not. <laughs> so now, we'll see if they can keep it up. I mean, by comparison, you, you did kind of let a little stray go at the NBA earlier. And I will say that, largely speaking, the NBA playoffs, if we're going to mock their defense, we should at least make a note that the under has been consistently hitting in the NBA playoffs, which to me says you're at least trying a little bit more than the regular season. So I'm not saying that they're great defensively. I'm just saying we got to give them their credit where it's due. But sticking with hockey, I mean, I'm just happy that this series is the way that it is because it is a little bit strange when you, you know, you go from regular season to postseason and the regular season is just like, Oh, you know, like bet the over, bet the over. Like it's, it's consistently happening. And then you get to the postseason and you're like, Oh man, like everything changes. And it's like, I, I think that is a big problem with the NBA is just the regular season does not feel connected to the playoffs at all because it feels like it's a completely different situation when you go from, from that season to this. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm seeing this series. I'm like, all right, yes. Is, is this pure insanity? Absolutely. But at the same time, does this like run parallel with what the regular season was? Yes. And I'm not going to, I mean, points are fun, especially, you know, you get the people who still dog hockey for quote unquote, not scoring enough. And then all of a sudden you go in and be like, how's 14 goals in a game sound for you? Totally. I mean, and ESPN is definitely soaking this up. Obviously, they didn't have the game last night, but just overall, they can cover, you know, they're covering it more, um, though. I will put an asterisk next to that because I've not been impressed with ESPN's coverage. Anyway, I, you know, that's an aside. Um, not that that's been yeah, a sticking goals, point for you or anything. Uh, I mean, I haven't really, I mean, I've probably hinted at it almost every episode. But. <laughs> <laughs> almost every episode? Uh, I think you're being a bit generous there, bud. It'll be – the Avs-Oilers series is going to be really interesting. I mean, I don't know what to expect. If we, if anything we saw last night, I don't think any of us know what to expect. As for the Tampa, uh, Tampa Rangers series that's about to drop, they're doing the National Anthem as we speak right now. Um, I think you're going to see the complete opposite. I think if you were betting, I, I don't know what the over-under is set at, but I would take the under. Um Tampa's the better team. The Rangers are more of like the sexy team, I guess, because they've never they haven't been here in a while. Um, well, they're also I the think sexy what's, team what's the really interesting. They're, they're also the sexy team because, as I will continuously state, or state, not stay, state until the end of time, Tampa has done the least with the most opportunity with their mascot and their sweaters. They are boring bland and i'm tired of looking at them so yes new york is a sexier team because they also just look better i i i think that the the highlight matchup is uh shesterkin for the rangers and vast versus vasilevsky um for tampa chris the is rangers not leaning have... into my jersey talk guys he, he's tired of hearing this 
Oh no, we got a we got a. This, this is a good time to plug your plug your. We got we got a nice jersey ranking from you earlier today, right? The, the undisputed, undeniably only correct jersey ranking that there is of all the playoff teams remaining. Although knowing that Edmonton isn't going to wear their orange unis at all is just they haven't been. It's it's pitiful, disappointing. You have what I would argue is one of if not the best sweaters in all of hockey and you're gonna trade it for some navy blue boring bullshit like come on yeah now with that being said maybe they're trying to bring themselves some good luck because the last time the oilers were in the stanley cup finals which was oh three i believe maybe no sorry oh five oh six I'm, I should know this off the top of my head. Regardless, they, years here. They wore their old alternate that has doesn't even say Oilers on it. It had the old Oilers symbol on it. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, I think I've seen a few pictures of it. Yeah. It is. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's why, and that that's kind of what brought them good luck. Um, let me see. I guess I want to say that was 2003 jersey. Listen, I am a continuous proponent of look good, feel good, play good. So if you've got the best sweater in the game and you choose not to wear it, I can't help but feel that you're a little jinxed, especially when you're going up against a team like Colorado, who their jerseys are absolutely putrid because the maroon and blue is, oh, no, don't don't give me that look. No, those the, the blues with the maroons is disgusting. It's it's not good. Like credit to them for stepping outside of the box, but the execution of it was very poor to the point where I am normally not one to take a team's white jersey over their color jersey because I just enjoy like a little bit more excitement, a little bit more flair with the colors. But Colorado's whites are pretty solid, but the their home jerseys to me are just gross interesting what about their like alternate with the actual like mountain with the c in it do you like that any better um a little bit i just i don't like the way that the colors mesh together that's the uh, old oilers yeah, jersey yeah, yeah, yeah that that's pretty solid that is pretty sick and i believe great podcasting by the way because everybody can see this look up the old oilers alternative jerseys <laughs> And like you'll a, see what we're talking about. It's a it's like dark a, blue you know, and it's like a drop. Yeah, like a drop, drop of oil, oil with like a gear next to it. It's it's you know in terms it's of pretty symbols, sick, I'm not gonna lie. In terms of like logos, that that one's pretty well done. So I I'm not gonna hate on that whatsoever. Uh, but moving along, we were talking about Rangers Tampa. I just expect Tampa to win that one. I mean, their their best chance of being knocked out came in the first round. Florida put up no resistance to them whatsoever. Whatsoever, Like you said, the Rangers haven't played a starting goalie yet all playoffs. Vasilevsky is Rangers probably... Rangers just scored less than two minutes in. <laughs> you, you know what? Here's the, here's the thing. I'm saying all this. I actually kind of expected New York to win the first game because of the arguments that you've been making for a while where, like, you don't enjoy longer periods of rest over playing a few more games. I agree. So like if I had made it to the casino today, like I would have bet Rangers cause they're plus money at home 
And yes. the whole thing is just, you know, I've listened to you preach, 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 you know, experience and play over too much rest. And I just figured Tampa, because Florida put up no resistance, that Tampa was going to come out and they just been on the shelf for too long. And New York has been playing constantly, it seems like. So do I like I expect game one to go in New York's favor. I just don't expect the series to go in their favor. So ESPN just flashed up a stat about the about the break. So Tampa had eight days between games in the playoffs. It's the third longest break ever in NHL playoff history. Yikes. Yeah. And now I'm I'm, I'm just going to not trying to even trying to play devil's advocate here. You're a professional hockey player. You've got some money in the bank. You play for Tampa. You just swept through the second round of the playoffs. You got a week plus off in Tampa. You what do you think the, you're doing? The strip club capital <laughs> of the world? You, you you might be suggesting something there, Chris? I mean, that or just chilling on the beach. Golfing. Golfing. I mean, hockey players love to golf. I mean, they do. They also like to, you know, slam back some brewskis, so... True, true. Just saying, you know, there might be something there where it's it's easy to switch the to flip this as I burp up my dinner. Um, well, that's a switch <laughs> that was flipped. Yeah, as we, it's easier to flip the switch off than it is on. Um, so I, I think that would have been a good bet to take the Rangers first first game. I, I Tampa's a better a better roster, but. Uh, you know, you momentum is everything. We've seen it in the past with the Kings, no, you know, notably come to mind. Um, even when the Caps won, man, Vegas kind of, you know, blew their way through the playoffs. And Caps ended up having to go six and overtime versus Pens in the second round. They had to go six the first round, and then they won seven against Tampa. No one seems to remember that, but we had to go seven versus Tampa. Oh, trust so, me. I, I remember them going six in the first round because that was that game too, and that was soul-crushing. Yeah, and then they bounced back. So you were the you were the flip, the, the, the switch that flipped there. Oh, when you yeah. left, they were like, all right, we'll win now. Yeah, the, the, the ugly guys out of the building, we're good. <laughs> now the real question is what jersey were you wearing? Or were you just wearing uh, a shirt? I was wearing my red Nicholas Backstrom jersey. Because Ooh, nice. as as I'm sure you can figure out, uh, I am very much a, I'd say a normal jock, but superstitious in some regards. And in terms of looking good, feeling good, I don't feel good if I'm playing in any jersey other than the one that has my number on it. And my number is 19. So when I was looking at a jersey oh. to get it was clear that the answer was going to be Backstrom from start to finish. No questions asked. Don't even ask me about like Ovechkin, Wilson, anybody else. 19 was the way I was going to go. All right. I mean, not a bad choice, obviously. I mean, critical part of that run. It helped that he's a really good player. (laughs) So it's, it's one of those things where like people do forget these sort of things. Now, I'm going to juxtapose what we're talking about here with the rest situation. I'm actually going to switch gears and go to the lacrosse side of things because also this past weekend, we had the NCAA championships. Uh, first little factoid I'm going to bring out about this because I can guarantee that even though you have been watching more lacrosse than normal, uh, that I have, I am willing to put my entire life savings, which ain't much, on this that you did not know that between the women's D1 champion, 
men's D1 champion, D2 champion, and D3 champion. All four of those teams collectively only had one loss on the season, and it was only by one goal. Wow. What yeah. tier was that at? Division three. RIT lost a one-goal game to RPI. <laughs> yeah, so that's wow. kind of crazy. But in terms of, like, rest and rust, it was a weird, weird weekend uh, because whoever decided to designate the sites for the championship weekend – uh clearly made an awful decision because they can definitely see years in the future in terms of you know weather and all that sort of stuff but for both the men's and women's game they had just ridiculously long delays during the semifinals due to weather and on the men's side of it it was like a three-hour delay uh cornell and Rutgers were it like in the middle of playing when it happened they came back. Cornell ended up waxing Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers, honestly, they looked like a program that was in the national semifinal for the first time. It, no fault to them. It just it was not their day. But Maryland and Princeton are sitting around for an extra three hours. They end up having to go back to their hotel because they're just sitting around for so long. Like, why are you going to stay at the stadium for that long and do absolutely nothing? At least go back to the hotel where you've got some amenities you can work with. And also you're in Hartford, Connecticut. There is nothing, nothing there to entertain you. If you're a college student, no offense to the city of Hartford, but it's the truth. So they come out and I think they said it's like six of the last eight championship weekends. Maryland has had to play the second out of the two games. And this is important because statistically speaking, whoever plays in that second game usually ends up losing the title game. And Maryland has been on the wrong end of that several. Oh my God. Some dude from the Rangers just got murdered. Like he, Oh, Artemi Panarin got laid out. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, it looked like Panarin and then they flipped to him going yeah. to the bench. He, he looks fine though. Uh, he is, but just watching it live, like he got truck sticked right in the middle of the ice. Um, but he, uh, so Maryland, they're playing in the second game. They're running an undefeated season. Their head coach is, you know, already irritated because they're constantly playing in the second game. And the, this man, if you ever watch their games, like he is constantly on the iPad, like checking like video and all this sort of stuff. So you already know. He's got all of this data in his head, so he knows what sort of disadvantage this puts his team at. And while I get that eight days is a very different concept than like 32 hours or 36, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's still like it's an interesting kind of like way to see the different two, like the two different sides. And Maryland was able to come out and win the title, but if you watch the end of that game and first of all, credit to Cornell, but if you watch the end of that game, Cornell was coming back and Maryland was just dead on the field. They, they honestly got bailed out by the fact that Connor Busick, who's Cornell's head coach called a timeout when Maryland didn't have any left and they were absolutely gassed and had Cornell just kind of gone out, played, run their normal set and not like taking that chance to pause. Then they scored that goal. That could have been game set and match. Like Cornell's still down two goals, but the momentum is squarely on Cornell's side. And you got the pressure of an undefeated season on Maryland's side. They, 
were not playing well. They knew they weren't playing well. I think they had like 20 turnovers in the game. And if you go on my Twitter timeline, I was kind of purposely playing up the role of the toxic University of Maryland fan, uh, where I was just being like a complete cocky asshole the entire time. But leaving the championship game, Maryland did win it. But the honest to God takeaway that I got from it was that Cornell's coach Busick is really good because he's like a kid too. He's so young. He's, he's younger than us. At least I think he is. But um, what? Yeah, Sean, he's, you're making me feel old. He's 28. That's how old I am. Shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's it's crazy because Maryland, they're going to be a dominant program for as long as John Tillman is their head coach. That they just kind of like wash, rinse, repeat. They're in championship weekend. But you look at Cornell and the team could have very easily just called it a day when they were down five, six goals. But they came back and they made it a real game. And to me, sure, credit the kids, but that's also a sign of really good coaching that you can get those kids to stay bought in when you're down six goals to an undefeated team. So this has the potential inklings of these two teams could be running it back for a few years here. And college sports is a lot harder to predict in that regard than, you know, like professional sports. But, you know, I'm taking a look at it right now. I think it's undisputed. Connor Busick's the best young coach in the game. There, there's hands down, no questions asked. So Cornell could be back. And it's the, the other thing that's kind of scary about it is like, I would never expect Busick to want to leave to go anywhere else because he's a Cornell alum. So there's mm. no there's no reason for him to ever leave that program because where in all honesty is the grass going to be greener for you than other than like where you went to school and also it's college lacrosse it's not like you're going to be making a ton of money anywhere else that you go so you could be the king in Ithaca New York so overall hey, yes Maryland they won need the a king man yeah I mean overall <laughs> yes Maryland won the title but. My takeaway was on the Cornell side of things. It was a great weekend for them, even despite the loss. I mean, overall, it seemed like a good weekend for Ivy's. Obviously, Princeton lost, but from what I watched of the Princeton game, I was texting you a bit. I, I didn't get to see a live, but watching some of the replay, um, I mean, Princeton found a way to kind of hang around until that penalty that they weren't able to like really capitalize more than once on, but. I mean, that's a good showing. Um, you know, I don't traditionally think of Princeton as a lacrosse, I don't want to say powerhouse, but, you know, a top-tier lacrosse program. They were for a while, and then when Bill Tierney left, they fell off. Mm. But, <clears throat> no, uh, speaking of – oh, Tampa just scored. Yeah, but nice. speaking of Princeton and that penalty, they got a three-minute non-releasable penalty, which, first of all, a hot garbage call. It was terrible because there was a hit later in the game that was significantly worse, and that only got one minute. So it was just laughable how bad that was. Uh, But scared money don't make money. So if you're going to sit there for 40 seconds against, again, undefeated team, I get the feeling that, you know, had Busick and Cornell had that opportunity, 
and they had 40 seconds until the end of the half. And their options were either run out the clock. So you have possession at the start of the third quarter or try to get another one in the back of the net. I mean, I get the feeling Cornell's going for it. That, that was really the difference between why I felt like the end of the game with them was legitimately close versus no matter how close Princeton got it, it just never felt close because Princeton was playing almost not to lose despite the fact that they were losing. Yeah, I mean, and man, I, I, I will say I don't know about enough about lacrosse to like fully understand offensive schemes and whatnot and how much is set play related and how much is just kind of free-flowing when they're in the offensive zone and, you know, possessing and, and whatnot. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, possible to really ever know. Um, but Maryland, man, so strong on the ball. Like just at, uh, every I, – I, I could be wrong, but from in the, the Final Four game – Maryland, I believe, was getting outshot, but like literally every shot Maryland took was just like a prime chance. It was just like quality over quantity and uh, I'm very impressed. And I'm not going to lie, you've sparked some interest for the PLL season, which is right around the corner, right? It starts this weekend. This weekend? Holy crap. How did yeah. the players. So the PLL did this on purpose because they have a very tight window that they want to work within. Because they don't want to have – this year's a little bit of an anomaly because of COVID and all that. But they don't want to have all the guys who are playing in the indoor season have a layover into the outdoor season if they can avoid it. The championship series is going to do it. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Uh, they also didn't want to have any layover between – like or not layover, but like crossover between the college and the pro season because that was one of the biggest mistakes that Major League Lacrosse did because you like they would start their season, get like four or five, six weeks into the season. And then week seven comes around, their roster looks entirely different because now you've got a whole batch of rookies in there. So you were basically playing like five or six weeks worth of glorified scrimmages to start the season because mm. you, you don't have your real team. And that's one of the things that also just made it really hard to connect with. So they decided that they wanted to start very quickly after the college season partially to build off the momentum of Memorial Day weekend for college, uh, but also because they want to try to get in and get most of their season done before football season kicks off because they realize like they're going to lose a lot of viewership once football comes around because everybody does. There's no exception to that rule. So they start quickly so that way they can try to fit the season in within a reasonable length of time but also capitalize on momentum from, you know, their rookies coming in and try to, you know, get in, get out before the big bad dog that is the NFL comes to town. I don't know how the NFL well, does. I mean, it helps that a lot of their teams are up in Canada and they could care less about the NFL, but it's, it's strange to see how they've managed to do so well with like a, a very American perspective with, an indoor lacrosse season played primarily during the late fall and winter. It's really strange. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this, um, probably won't have a ton of time to watch. Is it only Saturday or is it a Saturday, Sat Sunday split? Saturday or? and Sunday. So you've got two oh. games on Saturday. Uh, I don't know who's playing. ESPN two. coverage this year, right? Yes. 
So nice. got, uh, the two games on Saturday are Whip Snakes and Chaos, which is a rematch of the championship game from last year. Uh, you also get Redwoods and Atlas. Uh, Sunday, you get Water Dogs and Cannons, and then you get my team, the Archers, going against Chrome uh, on Sunday. So each team plays one game per weekend? Yes. They, okay. They used to have a, like a, a different setup, but they only had like six teams at that point, so they kind of had to gotcha. be a little bit more creative with it. But Yeah, I was going to say, I thought that, they, that you played like multiple games a weekend, and so it was almost like a mini like series per weekend, they, but... They used to have it where they would have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then uh, they would only have one game on Fridays, and then the the two teams that played on that Friday game would then play somebody else on Sunday. But now that they have eight teams, it's a little bit easier for them to kind of make it a full weekend, like round robin, basically. Right. Now, are they adding another team after this season? Uh, I would be surprised if they didn't. Uh, I've got something else in terms of like news and notes that I'll add in our news and notes segment later when it comes to lacrosse, but uh, it has nothing to do with a, a new expansion franchise, but something else that they're doing that could continue to help the momentum of the league. So Sounds actually pretty cool. Let's, let's actually move into some news and notes because I, like we will touch NBA first in this category, but I don't really see a reason to dive too deeply into them because frankly, the conference championship series were kind of duds. Uh, Golden State and who they played Dallas it, it never really excited me. It, it went it went five games. Sure, I don't really think that. <laughs> like Dallas won one game, but they were never really particularly close in any of the other games. It, it really never even sparked my interest enough to kind of like check in and see like why the games are the way that they are. Uh, Boston and Miami it looked a lot better on paper than it was in reality because both teams were very hurt, very exhausted. And Boston is still just a very young team. So game seven looked a lot closer at the end than it was, excuse me, than it was because Boston just kind of gave up the lead because their, their two superstars are still insanely young. So Boston and Golden State, yeah, I think there are some all right storylines there. Uh, it has been refreshing to see a whole lot of new faces in this playoffs, but I'll admit I would have been more interested in, like, seeing Phoenix-Boston uh, or, I mean, even just, like, conference final-wise, Dallas-Boston than – um, not San Francisco. They're, they play in San Francisco, but Golden State. Just because, it, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see, like, Steph, Clay, Draymond all get back there. But Clay is a shell of himself, which he should be after tearing his Achilles and his ACL. Uh, Draymond got old in a hurry. And Steph really just isn't as explosive as he once was. So, I mean, father time. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens. But They've played a lot of basketball. <laughs> Exactly. And with that, you know, because the wear and tear happens, that also kind of causes my interest to, to wane a little bit. So I might pop in and, and check in on like the games occasionally if I have the time. But I don't know. I'm just, I, I don't really feel a pull to go out of my way to go watch this series. I'll be honest, I, pr- I probably yeah. won't feel the, the sit. I probably won't feel as much of that with the Stanley Cup either, because Yes, I, I hate on Tampa Bay's sweaters a ton, but I just, I don't know. 
like their sweaters. I just find them to be a little bit bland uh, every time I think about them because I just think of Tampa and I think, nah. Um, but I feel like the Western Conference uh, Championship Series, I said that right, even though it sounded like I didn't. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like to me, that's like just going to be the more entertaining, the more fun series. And, you know, if Tampa wins a third, I feel like I could easily make the uh, this, you know, claim that whoever came out of the Western Conference was so exhausted from such an insane series that Tampa was just destined to win. Or if the Western Conference team wins and it's like, all right, cool. Well, then basically the Stanley Cup was the Western Conference finals because that one was a lot more fun. Yeah, and I don't want to pull this conversation super back into hockey because I know we're, we're we're chugging along here and we quickly jumped off, off the NBA train. But if Tampa three-peats, that, that has not been done since the 80s with the Islanders, who won four straight. That whole COVID season, the shortened season, the bubble season – AKA both championships that they've won back to back. Those asterisks are going to matter, I think, then. The limited travel really helped them. Playing in the bubble really helped them. Now, to be fair, they won fair and square. There's a reason it hasn't been done since the 80s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, it, good I, for them. I'll be happy for them. I think like someone like Steven Stamkos is a hell of a player. Uh, I still think that he probably doesn't get enough credit for how good of a player he's been throughout his career. Um, so, Truth, he's dealt with a lot of bad injuries. But yes, I agree with that statement. He's a beast. Yeah, so uh, moving on again, NBA, not super exciting. Uh, what is kind of actually, in my opinion, granted, local bias, uh, we're a little bit more interesting to watch, is the Orioles that we've talked about with MLB. Doesn't seem to be too much excitement going on outside of this uh, for anyone really other than some story about a dude slapping another dude over fantasy football so way to stay relevant baseball with something that doesn't even involve your sport um but the orioles are i don't i'm not going to put them in the the frisky category yet but at this stage of the game if you told me if you had told me 51 games into the season that they were would only be nine games under 500 i wouldn't believe you just straight up there there's no caveat to that there's i just wouldn't believe you so you know i I think that for a much maligned franchise publicly primarily with buster olney uh that all this young talent that they've been accruing is starting to show up in a big way and it's exciting to watch Well, I'm uh, not going to lie. Like I, I've watched a lot of baseball the past few weeks, um, trying to pay attention to this young talent. Um, I really like Brandon Hyde, man. This is a fun team to watch, even though they're not you know, necessarily winning. They, they beat Boston on Monday 10-0, and then they come back last night and lose 10-0 to Seattle. They're a young team, right? Really inconsistent. Um, but they are fun to watch. Which we have not said about the Orioles since, what, 2014, maybe 2016? It's been a hot minute. And even that was like a flash in the pan. Most of our lives, they've been a complete snooze fest. So it's nice to at least see some new faces. The The faces that, that we've been hearing about are showing up. Our pitching has actually not been that bad. Um, we got Adley, right? Adley Rushman's up. 
the next big wig to, to, to come up will be Grayson Rodriguez, who's an absolute stud down in AAA. He should be ready. Well, he is already ready, but he should be up soon. Um, and, yeah, I, it's it's fun to watch. Um, I would love I can to be say. able to I would watch definitely it. call them frisky, though. Hey, man, I, I got I, it on right now. I mean, look, I, I would love to be able to watch them, but – the Angelos family is deep in bed with Comcast, and I refuse to pay Comcast for anything anymore. Uh, so <laughs> I don't really have the option to watch them unless I want to go to a game. And right now, your boy doesn't have the time to do that. So uh, Studio Sean. I'm just I'm I'm happy <laughs> that while they're not, I'd say fully relevant yet, they can at least be classified as fun. So that makes me happy. Uh, in terms of another thing that makes me happy. U.S. men's national team currently up to nothing in a international friendly against Morocco. Uh, personally, I think if we want to be on the top tier of things in terms of international soccer, uh, we should probably be up like 4-0 nothing, or 4 nothing right now because they're in like the 55th minute. Uh, so that that's something that I feel like they should be doing. But I'm also watching this going, the only person on this team I recognize is Christian Pulisic. So they clearly have had a complete revamping and just turnover of the roster. So at the same time, like, you know, it, it looks like we've got a lot of young guys. It's not like what we were doing during the, uh, the Jurgen Klinsmann era where they were basically finding a lot of older dual citizenship guys to try and fill the roles and all that. Like this looks like a very young core that can develop together uh, with Pulisic being the star and, you know, it's it's one of those where late high school, early college, I was super into the U.S. international team, kind of fell off of it for a little bit. Uh, and this is something where leading into the World Cup, I could find myself getting really interested in. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see a, uh, a winter or fall, whatever we want to call it. I believe it's a pure winter World Cup, though. Uh, it, it doesn't do it for me, but that's because... Anything involving Qatar and and the issues that they have within the country, not going to dive deep into those, but it just reminds me of how corrupt FIFA is. I mean, the the quote of Seth Blatter saying, I am the president of everybody will forever stay in my head. So that's really it. Um, I think news and notes wise, really the only other thing that's just kind of worth putting a footnote on the end of this podcast is is that uh, Dan Snyder, uh, and Roger Goodell were asked to come testify in front of Congress. Uh, I only say this as a footnote because I'm sure anybody else who has paid attention to this franchise or just the NFL in general over the past few years knows that the chances of the two of them showing up is about the same chance that a snowball has of surviving in hell. So I just don't see that happening. Well, so I got to ask, you mentioned... A lacrosse news and note. What's the lacrosse news and note? Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, I, I figured we'd already moved on from the topic. So poor job on my end. Uh, but the PLL announced a, like, you, you, uh, I keep saying you are wanting to say you 11, but overall a youth like tournament clinic sort of thing where kids from all across the country who play U 11 or play U 13 uh, can try out and basically get recruited to play in a like mini PLL kind of like almost their own little like 
World Cup, but just international or just nationally. Uh, mm-hmm. So think like the World Juniors for hockey, but instead of the whole world, it's you know whatever talent you can find between like Canada, um, the Iroquois Nationals, uh, United States. If there's anybody international, I don't know how much, if anything, that there would be that would get the attention of the PLL. But these kids are going to get the opportunity to get recruited. They're then going to come to their own version of a PLL training camp. Uh, And then out of that, there is a certain number of kids who will be selected to eight different squads. Those squads will be representing the same eight PLL teams that are there. And then they will have that like kind of mini championship series. Uh, I personally am excited for this because I think it builds a lot of momentum and a lot of connectivity uh, with young players in the league. So, you know, even if these kids don't pan out to be like D1 prospects or end up in the pros or anything, you know, you get somebody who's like, dude, I played for a PLL team, essentially putting on like a youth program Redwoods jersey or something like that. You know, that's that's a great way to connect with your fan base and then hopefully expand it even more because, you know, if you got guys who are on a lacrosse team, yes, it's a niche sport. And yes, people in the lacrosse world are very tight with each other, but those aren't going to be the only friends that they have. So, you know, you get a guy who ends up on the team, starts mentioning to his buddies, like, Hey, you know, I'm playing in this world, whatever. If they broadcast that. And that is honestly my biggest concern is whether they will or will not broadcast these games. I think they need to, to capitalize momentum on them. What's the age group? Uh, there's two levels, U11 and U13. I feel like that might be too young. I feel like it is too. Maybe the U13. Maybe, but we like we broadcast all sorts of stuff that involve kids on it. But I'm just saying, like in terms of like building a fan base, like you know, you go and you tell your your middle school buddies, like, hey, I'm gonna be on TV playing for these guys, like. That's a great way to start like attracting other kids who may not necessarily get exposed to it right away. So uh, I am very, very excited to see where that could lead in the future. So more details of it to come. They literally just announced it today. Uh, They did put out a fair amount of details to start with it. But in terms of stuff of like will or won't it be broadcast, like I, I didn't see anything like that put out today. So the real question is how long do you think the tryout line is going to be in the Baltimore region and how many angry lacrosse dads are there going to be when their kid doesn't make the team? Countless, absolutely (laughs) countless, not just there, but like long Island, upstate New York, it, it, anywhere that there would be like a hotbed that you could say, but New York and Maryland, especially Connecticut is also becoming a huge hotbed. Those areas, you're going to have a lot of upset parents if their kids don't make it a lot so i think the other thing that would be worth counting on is uh seeing how many times an angry lacrosse dad or mom starts yelling wheels up in the stands because that is a (laughs) as a parental favorite in the uh in the lacrosse world it's okay in hockey it's move your feet (laughs) (laughs) well on that note we are going to move our feet to go take care of some other things that we need to during the week I'm going to go back to doing grad school stuff. Woohoo. Uh, thanks again. Studio Sean. Yeah, yeah. It's the, uh, the new logo. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for everybody for tuning in. I'm just kind of brushing that one under the rug, not really addressing it. Uh, but thanks for everyone for tuning in. Uh, we will see you guys next time.